Welcome to the Generations Church Podcast. This is Brian Nugent, and I'm the pastor at Generations Church. Thanks for listening today. We hope this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. For more information about Generations Church and its ministries, check out our webpage at gctlh.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. All right, if you have your Bibles this morning, uh, go to the book of Acts, starting a new series, a summer series this morning on the, uh, <clears throat> on the book of Acts. Uh, the story continues. So uh, we're going to be reading Acts 1, some in Acts 1 and some in Acts 2 this morning. So uh, I love this book. It is a very unique book. It is a, a book that you will love. It will inspire you and you'll learn from it. You'll just be amazed at at some of the workings of the Lord. So through this summer, we're going to kind of work our way through this book, not necessarily verse by verse, but but most of it. So you can kind of prepare yourself and help yourself, uh, maybe just reading through it as a part of your devotions. If you get our Fuel 15 that we put out every month, there's a lot of extra study guides that deal with this series on the book of Acts. You can go pull that up from email or on our website, different devotions, different books, different word studies that go along with our uh, with our book. Now, the, the first two chapters, one and two, are really foundational to the rest of the book, and we're just going to spend a little time in both of those uh, chapters this morning. Now, if you come from a background that's not from a spirit-filled background, and, and maybe you're thinking on the book of Acts and the Holy Spirit today uh, might be a little different, that's okay. We all come from different perspectives and different backgrounds, but I would just ask as we walk through the these passages that you just be open to what the Holy Spirit may be saying to you about how he works and moves today. So, uh, but we welcome everybody. But if you come from that perspective, just, you know, pay attention. Don't close certain things down. Just be open to that. You, you might be surprised what the Lord uh, may say to you. So a few things to know about the book of Acts, just since it's the first, uh, the first uh, message series uh, or, or the first first message in our series, all right, it was written by Luke to his friend Theophilus, okay? So everybody wants to know who's Theophilus, okay? So there's lots of different theories on who Theophilus is, but there's a kind of consensus that Theophilus was probably a friend of Luke's who was either a Roman or Greek, okay, official, when, when Luke addresses Theophilus, he calls him most excellent, which was kind of a, a term that they used with government officials. So Luke, when he writes the gospel of Luke, he writes it to Theophilus and he calls it uh, most excellent. And in Acts, he refers, and we'll see that in a minute, he calls him most excellent. So, uh, so that's who Theophilus is. But one thing that got my attention, and I want to remind you of this, when Luke was writing the, these letters to Theophilus, he's just writing an individual letter. He had no idea that later that these letters would be pulled and they, that, that millions of people would be reading it. It's just a letter to a friend. 
And when you think about that, when you, he wasn't writing this to be part of the Bible. It's just the letter. So when you like read the detail of Luke, when you look, go through the genealogy and some of the detail through Acts, here is a guy who's probably trying to win his Greek or, or Roman friend, and he's really spending some time on this particular letter. And when you think about that, man, what great care, what great, you know, that's a heart of evangelism there. How do I win my friend? So he writes this detailed letter of Luke and Acts. So uh, that's who Theophilus is, but really, remember, it's a private letter that we pulled later and made a gospel. Uh, something else, it was written about 30 years after the death of Christ, the book of Acts. And Acts covers the first 33 years of the New Testament church. Now, when you read Acts with all the gospels, you know, it doesn't tell us how much time transpires in between stories and chapters. Sometimes it's just a different tone. So it, it covers 33 years, but the chapters don't go, hey, you know, two years later, this happens. So you gotta, you gotta kind of remember it in that, in that, uh, in that particular span. So things to watch while we are uh, reading the Book of Acts, and I'll just mention these quickly: the coming of the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of believers and the church. From beginning to end, we're watching the working of the Holy Spirit in believers and the lives of the church. Second, the advancement of the gospel message and the winning of new believers to Jesus. So the book of Acts itself is not about the Holy Spirit and miracles and signs and wonders. You know, actually, it's about the advancement of the gospel. We forget that. That should be, that's inner, should be interwoven when we read about the evangelistic efforts that came from the follower of Jesus and this empowered church. So something else to watch, the initial development and growth of the early church. It starts with a few believers in an upper room. And man, by the end, it's a worldwide kind of mega church with, you know, not, maybe not mega church, but churches in all kinds of locations. Uh, we're going to watch the connection between miracles, signs, and wonders in new believers. We're going to see how God uses that in people's lives. And then just the last, something to watch. The early church progressing from only Jewish believers to Gentiles as well. About halfway through Acts, there's a racial issue over can Gentiles be saved? A huge issue. And we're going to, we're going to see that. And on behalf of all the Gentiles, we're glad it worked out well for us. Okay? Praise God. All right. So uh, Acts chapter 1. Luke is reflecting and remembers and writes about Jesus' last day. Luke 1, 1. So let's read some of this. It says, in my former book, Theophilus, he's referring back to the book of Luke. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up into heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Verse 4, pay attention to this. On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. 
Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus says that. Look at the response of the apostles. They had gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Went right over their head. He said, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the father has set by his own authority. But then he speaks again. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After this, he was taken up before their very eyes in a cloud, and he was hid him, a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has taken you from heaven will come back in the same way which you have seen him go into heaven. The apostles, look at this, returned to Jerusalem from the hill called Mount Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, uh, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, the zealot, Judas, son, James. They all joined together constantly in prayer with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Okay, so he starts out writing this letter 30 years after, you know, this event transpired. He's setting us up in action. Acts chapter 1 because there's something, he's reminding us of a few things because there's something that's going to happen a little bit later and he's trying to remind us of that. Now in that first passage that we read, he repeats a couple of things. Number one, he repeats the promise that Jesus told the disciples, but he quotes himself from the book of Luke. So Acts 4, Acts 1, 4 is actually a quotation that he lifts from his letter in Luke and he reminds us and I'll just read it again don't leave Jerusalem but wait for the gift my father promised important which you have heard me speak about John baptized you in water but in a few days you'll be baptized uh, in the Holy Spirit so this is his last moments with them before he is taken up what does he say what is his last words does he go back over the Beatitudes and remind them about that important teaching the Sermon on the Mount does he refresh them on the Lord's Prayer does he go back over like uh, Matthew 24 all the biblical prophecies of uh, the of Olivet that he gave uh, at that moment no he tells them stop what you're doing go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit and then he reminds them again in this passage of the purpose of of the Holy Spirit coming you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem all Judea Samaria and to the ends of the earth 
So they do exactly what Jesus said. They go back to Jerusalem where they were staying, okay? So it says they're upstairs. So evidently they've got some kind of lodging somewhere. And they start to do this. They constantly start to pray. They are praying, you know, regularly. Now, back in that time, they prayed at 9 a.m. They prayed at noon. They, they prayed at 3. That was just kind of the Jewish prayer schedules. So they are praying. Now, they have no idea how the Holy Spirit is going to come. They have no idea, no point of reference. Jesus said he is coming, but they have no idea the manner that the Holy Spirit's coming. They may be thinking, well, you know, was it, is, it, is he going to come like, you know, like Jesus did? Is there going to be angelic choirs that are going to be coming? Are the magi going to be bringing gifts? You know, I mean, they have no idea. And let me just say, I'm very thankful that the Holy Spirit came in the way that he did because I could not afford another holiday like that. I just couldn't do it. They have no idea what is about, you know, what is about to happen. Now, I just want to take a moment and I want to remind you because sometimes people are very clear on what Jesus said about salvation. And sometimes they forget about, what, about Jesus' involvement and what he said, you know, about the Holy Spirit. So I want to remind you, just take a moment and just remind you of that. So Jesus' first public act was at the baptism, you know, he came to the baptism of John. And he was requesting that John baptize him. And John said this about Jesus. He said, I baptize you with the waters of repentance. But he that comes after me, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So, so John the Baptist is using an example, an illustration. We all understand baptism by immersion, okay, going under the water. He said, I baptize you with water under repentance. But he that comes after me, whose shoes are not even worthy to tie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So he's giving another illustration here of what the baptism of the Holy Spirit would be like to believers. It's like this immersion. It's like this saturation, this, you know, uh, God's presence and God's spirit is all over. So he says that at the beginning of Jesus' baptism, and then Jesus comes and he is baptized, and it's very significant, very significant to us. He is baptized but then when he comes out of the water, the Holy Spirit comes upon him in the form of a dove. Very significant to you and I today. If anyone did not need the Holy Spirit, it would have been Jesus. But when he stood there, the Holy Spirit came upon him, okay? And, it, and he never, you know, before that moment, he never did a miracle. He never preached a sermon. So this, this example of the, of the Holy Spirit coming upon Jesus, it makes a statement for you and I, if anybody didn't need the Holy Spirit, it was Jesus. If he needed the Holy Spirit upon his life to do ministry in the world, how much more do you and I need the Spirit of the Lord in our lives today. All right, so, so Jesus not only had the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, but he also taught on multiple occasions. And I'm not going to go 
over all of that. That's something that you can, can kind of study yourself. But in one occasion, John chapter, John chapter 7, Jesus said, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. And if he drinks of the waters that I give, he'll never thirst again. And then it said, this he spoke about the Holy Spirit, uh, who, uh, by this he meant the Spirit, to whom those uh, who believed were later to receive. He said, and I don't think I quoted that correctly. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has says, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, those who believe were later to receive. So he's using, again, he's trying to give us a mental image of what this would be like. Jesus uses the example of a river to give us an illustration of what it's going to be like with the Holy Spirit. So with a river, the current, it's always on the move. You know, it's, it's living. He said this river is going to be just like that, except it's going to be supernatural. It's going to flow, not from east to west, but it's going to flow from within your heart. It's going to affect your worship. It's going to affect your mind. And then I just want to repeat one of the last statements that, that Jesus made about the Holy Spirit. Remember, he said in the upper room to the disciples, after the resurrection, he appears to them, and here's what he says, Luke 24, 45. I'm going to send what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Okay? Now, after, after this, you know, the Jesus' resurrection, wouldn't this have been a great time for everybody to be evangelizing, telling the story of, of the resurrection of Jesus. Isn't this the right moment? The iron is hot. Shouldn't they be out proclaiming the works of the Lord? But it's the only time Jesus tells the church to wait. Stop. Stop. Yeah, yeah, it could be advantageous for this moment. But here is what I need you to do, okay? Don't go preach. Don't go hold services. I want you to go to Jerusalem and wait. Don't do anything. Not a song, not a service. I want you to wait because God is going to fulfill his promise and he's going to clothe you like a, like a coat. He's going to clothe you with power from on high. Okay, so I just wanted you to, rem I want to remind you that Jesus was not just, you know, his words are not just used in salvation, but Jesus had a lot to say about the Holy Spirit and his interaction upon our life. So, so Luke is using Acts chapter 1 because he's setting up Acts chapter 2. All right, you ready for Acts chapter 2? All right, turn, turn there, Acts 2 and verse 1. <clears throat> when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound blowing, uh, like uh, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. 
When they heard this sound, the crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all of these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, Egypt, parts of Libya, near Cyrene, visitors of Rome. Are you getting the geographic footprint of those who are in attendance there? Uh, and both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongue. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? What is happening? Some of them made fun of them and said, have they had too much wine? Okay, listen. <laughs> There's always going to be critics. Let me just say that. Always, always people going to say things that are negative. So let's look back at this passage and just what are some things that we can draw from this particular passage? Number one, the Holy Spirit appeared at their prayer meeting. Okay. It doesn't necessarily say this is on the Sabbath. He appeared at their prayer meeting. So they had constantly been praying. Let's say they're doing this 9, 12, and 3 o'clock thing. They have been doing this for 10, 12 days, something like that. They're being faithful to their, to their prayer meeting. And all of a sudden, in the middle of the prayer meeting, during the Feast of Tabernacles, I mean, excuse me, the, uh, the, the Feast of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes. I just want to remind you that God still moves in prayer meetings, okay? We think it's only on Sunday that God does his best work, but I would say you're wrong. So the Holy Spirit appeared at their prayer meeting. There was a sound of a blowing violent wind. So this time that word violent stood out to me, okay, so this was not a cool breeze blowing through open windows. This was not an oscillating type fan breeze gently blowing. It was violent. Now, everybody that lives in this area, we know what violent winds look and sound like, okay? This was something that got their attention. This was something <clears throat> that, that was violent to the point that it stopped their prayer meeting and they're paying attention, you know, they're paying attention to the wind, okay? So, so it's a violent wind. What else happened? A supernatural fire appeared to all of them and then it separated over each one of them. So you got a couple of unusual things. You have a violent wind, that's got their attention. They stop praying. They're looking, they're looking around. What's going on? And in the middle of it, it's like a ball of fire that appears. And the scripture says that ball of fire kind of splits up. And, and, and there's fire over every individual that's there. Now, let me just tell you something. For those that were in that room that were all 
You know, they were all Jewish. Yes, there were things that they could not explain with their eyes, but there were certain things that they knew about what they were seeing they, that, that was kind of giving them a hint hence that this was the Lord. So the first of all, that violent wind all throughout the Old Testament, wind was just a sign of God and God's presence. If you'll go back to Moses in the time of Moses at the Red Sea, it was the wind of God that blew upon the Red Sea for, for eight hours. So yes, they're, they're seeing this violent wind, but they know that wind is a sign of God's presence. They're seeing this ball of fire that's just hovering you know, in the sky for some reason. And yeah, it was probably a little fearful but they also knew that God's presence was known by fire. It was God's presence on a burning bush that was not consumed, that God spoke to Moses. It was God's presence, that the, the fire by night that, that, that led the Hebrews through the, through the wilderness. So they have these unusual occurrences, but yet they knew in that moment, man, this was God's power and this is God's presence. All right? All right. They begin to worship and speak in a language that they had not learned. Okay? They learned, or they, they begin to worship and speak in a language that they had not learned. So they're, they're, they're starting to, I mean, this presence, this power of God is starting to move on them, and how they knew that this was something unusual, they begin to speak in a language that they had not learned. But this was not separated like they were at home. This was in a very intense prayer meeting that they were having that God was showing signs of his power and presence. So, man, they are looking and they are yielding to this as God's power is moving on them. But they know that something has happened because they are speaking in languages that they, that they did not learn. Can I just say something to you today that as God filled the temple in the times of Solomon with his power and presence, today he is filling the hearts and the spirits of people with his power and presence. And Jesus said, this is the promise of the Father. So they're, they're receiving that promise. So these so there was something that was happening to the disciples, those that were in the upper room. 120 that was in the upper room. They're having this powerful spiritual experience in this prayer meeting, okay? But there were other people as well that were watching. So these languages were recognized by foreigners watching who were in Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost. So there, you got all these people that are there for the Feast of Pentecost, and they are watching what's going on. And the miracle of the moment was that they were hearing worship of God, and they were hearing a proclamation of the gospel in their own native language. Okay? So God is filling believers... But at the same time, people are hearing them magnify God through worship and they are declaring the salvation, salvation through Jesus Christ. Because I want to remind you, the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of God coming on the church 
First and foremost is about missions and it is about evangelism and winning people to the lost. And even at its very inception in this moment, people are being challenged to give their life to Jesus in this very unusual way. So, it's nine o'clock in the morning. People are getting up for work. They're getting ready to go through their routine. They're, you know, grabbing their tools. They're yelling at their children because that's just universal, okay? It just happens. It just happens. But man, there's something, there's something that's happening. There's something that's happened over in a certain part of, of Jerusalem where people are stopping what they are doing and they are gathering, thousands of them are gathering around this supernatural moment. So they stopped, they stopped going to work. They gathered their children. They came around that upper room and they just began to stand there. And man, they just began to see and sense that God was doing something in that moment. And let me just say, when it happened, the atmosphere over Jerusalem at that particular time, begin to change and men and women's hearts were open to the gospel they were open to the gospel now let me let me just say something here i think it's i think it's important okay we we live in a society today that is overrun with evil and spiritual forces okay the world and the culture that we live in today is completely different than 20 years ago, okay? It is much more antagonistic to the gospel. There's no respect for believers. I mean, it is, we have, we, we have hostility toward the people of God and the church. We see evil forces aligning and they are empowered in a way that we have never seen before. We see godlessness as we've never seen it uh, humanism, secularism, trying to come up with human wisdom without even the thought of God. Our, our government and our media and culture, as I mentioned, is now antagonistic to the gospel. It's going to be the most intense spiritual conflict that the church has ever had. And I just want to say this morning, if there was ever a time that the church needed the fullness of the Holy Spirit, it is. It is now. It is now. We live in a modern era, but I want to say the tools that work in business, education, and government are not necessarily the tools that we need to be successful today. Higher education, technology, facilities, those things are well and good, but there is no substitute in the church for a spirit-filled church and a praying church and a church where the living presence of God is active. I want to say, too, this is not a time for us to go into the prayerless church. We're too distracted. We're too, we're too busy. You know, we pay people to do that. It's not a time for us to kind of retreat into prayerlessness. It's not a time for the church to retreat into godlessness or, or, or you know, uh, or being compromised. You know, the whole time... The Hebrews were in Egypt. They were looking back to what they, or they were in the wilderness. They were looking back to Egypt. And I want to I tell you, it's not 
that time for the church to look back to the good old days of, of what we had before. It's time for a church that prays. It's a time for a church that believes in holiness and the power of God. We need to open ourselves up to the, to the, to the Holy Spirit and all that he has. Let me tell you something. Some churches do not welcome his presence. They write him out of their existence with their doctrine. There's no time for the Holy Spirit in, in their service. But I want you to know, not in this church. He is welcome in our written doctrine. He is welcome to move. We need the Spirit of God in our church. It is not coincidental that Christ died on Passover. There was a message in that. And it is not coincidental that the Holy Spirit fell on the Feast of Pentecost, the Feast of Harvest. It is a reminder that this power and presence is not just for Sunday morning, but it's the empowerment of the church to reach the world. His presence is welcome here today. So we've got this situation arising outside of the upper room. And Peter, Peter addresses the crowd, okay? There are the 120 going on, you know, inside. There are thousands of people that have gathered outside. And here is Peter who's going to address this situation with no, no preparation, okay? No preparation. All, all people, they love for preachers, you know, just to have a spontaneous message. Let me tell you something. It just makes me nervous, okay? Peter has no, he has no preparation. But he starts with an explanation that I want to walk through here for just, just a moment. He starts connecting biblical prophecy to what is occurring. He's connecting church history with the present. And he doesn't go into a deep explanation. I'm going to tell you up front because I want you to see it. He doesn't go into a deep explanation of what is happening in the moment, but he goes out of his way to give an explanation about the gospel, which is very biblical and in order. So here is Peter's, here is Peter's response to the crowd that has gathered. Then Peter stood up with the eleven. He raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews, <clears throat> all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Remember the question they asked, are people drunk? Okay. Fellow Jews, all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. Evidently, they had an alcohol issue in Jerusalem. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. He's speaking to these Jewish people. So he's connecting biblical prophecy to what is happening in the moment. And he quotes Joel, okay? In the last days, God says, I will pour out of my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out of my spirit in those days and they will prophesy, okay? So that's He's connecting what's happening with biblical prophecies. I, you know, they're Jewish people, number one, but he's also giving a biblical foundation. Look at verse 20, 21. And he says, 
And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Because I told you, watch the pivot here. He gives just a brief explanation about what they're seeing. But now he's dealing with our hearts. Look at this. Verse 22. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth, a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you, though uh, through, God did among you through him, as you know yourselves. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. He was a pastor that was not up for a vote. That's that's how you get voted out there. Put him to death by nailing to the cross. Therefore, let all of Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you, your children, and all who are afar off, for all, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, Save yourselves from the corruption of this generation." Those who accepted his message and were baptized, uh, um, those who accepted his message and were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. All right? So that just shows you the crowd, 3,000 responded. But let me just say something too. Peter, you know, here's Peter who's just come out of the lowest moment of his life, okay? Just a month ago. Out of the lowest moment of his life, he betrayed Christ. <laughs> Not just once, but three times. I mean, everybody can have a bad day. He kept repeating the same thing over and over. And within just a few weeks, now he is on the greatest spiritual platform that he's ever had before proclaiming the gospel. So I just want to ask you this morning, have you failed God and sinned? Okay, have you asked for forgiveness after you have done that sin? Maybe something you knew better or you made some poor decisions. If you've done that and you've asked God's forgiveness and he has forgiven you, I want to say don't grovel in that failure. Don't retreat to self-pity and self-condemnation. Some people give up and go, I failed, so I'm not going to try again. I want you to know this morning that you may have gone through your greatest failure, but right around the corner might be the greatest platform for the gospel that you've ever been on before. All right? So if you're forgiven, move on. You don't have time to take a year off. You never know what God is going to do through your particular life. So here is Peter who is giving the defense. He had pressed through. You know, sometimes like when we go through failure, we feel like, man, I got to take a year off. I'm bad. I'm bad. Where'd you get that? You've been forgiven. And if that opportunity is there, 
you move on. If that door opens, you, you, walk, you walk into that. So Peter's addressing the crowd, and that is his response. Now, I just want to take a moment this morning because I want to deal just for a moment with a doctrinal difference or an issue that the church world has concerning acts in the Holy Spirit. Some people, you know, some people have just kind of closed off this work, uh, this potential work in their own heart. So I just want to take a moment and I want to talk about the belief of the Holy Spirit moving in this particular day. Now, there are two viewpoints uh, basically in the church world, the evangelical church world, on the Holy Spirit's work today. One is called cessationist or cessationism, okay? That is the view that the workings of the Holy Spirit as expressed in Acts ceased after the days of the apostles or the development of the New Testament. And for those that are cessationists, there's some uh, disagreement on whether the, the work of the Holy Spirit stopped with the apostles when they died out or at the coming of the New Testament. So there's some disagreement there. So this would be uh, people that would believe that would be like our friends who are Baptist or Methodist or Presbyterian. They're called cessationists. They believe that the work of the Holy Spirit, what we, re- what we read about in the book of Acts, ceased and is no longer there. Okay, The other viewpoint is called a continualist. That would be us, all right? The view that the work of the Holy Spirit and spiritual gifts as represented in Acts continued after the era of the apostles to today. So, we would consider ourselves a continualist, okay? So why don't you brag about that? It's a big word. Tell somebody, hey, I'm a continualist. I'm proud to be a continualist, okay? All right, so there are people that believe that the work of the Holy Spirit that we're reading about has ended at the, uh, when, when the, the apostles died or the coming of the New Testament. There are others that read the book of Acts and go, no, this continues still today. We never read about anything that is stopped. So let me, let me give you some common areas of those who are cessationist and continualist. Okay, so both of us, both groups would agree on the work of the Holy Spirit before salvation and the Holy Spirit's work in our growth and maturity after salvation. We both agree on that. We both believe that the words of Jesus and the reading of the book of Acts, you know, is correct. So they don't disagree with, with what they read in the book of Acts, okay? They don't, they don't disagree with what takes place in the book of Acts. They just believe it's an era that has passed away that is no longer, you know, it's no longer for the church. Now, to me, to me, my critique of cessationism is a few things. Number one, it is light on scriptural support of this particular doctrine. I'm not going to unpack the whole thing, but I'm going to give you a little homework, okay? 1 Corinthians 13.10 is kind of the foundational scripture for cessationist, okay? And I, when I read that, when I read some of that, I just, I just think it's very light 
on scriptural support to develop a doctrine, okay? You can go do your own, own work there. You can read, you know, the, 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 uh, the foundational scripture of cessationism, but I think it's very light. I think you have to be very creative in that reading in order to come up with a cessationist belief. I think there are a lot of uh, assumptions, like you almost have to explain that verse before you read it, all right. I also think that some cessationists take all of the extremes of the Pentecostal belief and church and they use that as an example to scare off other people. Okay, now let me just say something very clearly. There are some nuts in the Pentecostal church, okay? There's some crazy folks. There's some people. Sometimes I'm yelling at the TV, you know, because, uh, because there are idiots out there. Let me just say that. Yeah, you can tweet me as well, all right? There are people that doctrinally and with their practice are way on extreme, but they call themselves spirit-filled. But what some cessationists do, they take those extreme examples of doctrine and practice, and they try to misrepresent, you know, our belief, our orthodox belief, our evangelical belief. So that irritates me. So it's light, you know, it's light on uh, doctrinal support, lots of proof, proof texting, assumptions, mischaracterizations, and then I added lots of duct tape as well. Got to have a lot of duct tape and hope in order to make this work, all right? Now, let me say this too. You don't see a lot of cessationist churches preaching through the book of Acts. You don't see them doing expository series on the book of Acts because it's a very difficult pivot to read through the entirety of the book of Acts, miracles, signs, wonders, people being filled with the Holy Spirit, many people coming to Christ through this, you know, all of the green lights that you see in the reading of Jesus through the book of Acts, and then all of a sudden your only stop sign is 1 Corinthians 13.10. It's a very difficult pivot, so you don't see a lot of them uh, preaching through the book of Acts. But let me just say something about the cessationist groups. They are our friends, our evangelical friends. They are brothers and sisters in Christ. All right, you hear me? Even though we might have a difference on that, man, I, I appreciate those and, I, and, and join hands with my evangelical brothers and sisters. Okay, so I just want to say that. We don't cast dispersions. We have a doctrinal disagreement that, that, does, not our, that does not separate our fellowship from those who are cessationists. But I just want to say something too. There is something happening in the world, okay? There is something happening across the world. God is moving. God is moving by spirit across the world. And there are people maybe who have been raised in this who are moving on from this doctrine because they are hearing the voice of the spirit. They're reading God's word, but they're sensing in their own hearts the green light of the Holy Spirit that says continue to walk down this path pathway, all right? Ed Stetzer, is, uh, he works at Wheaton College. He's, he's a cessationist, kind of a curious cessationist, and, and I like his readings. I read a lot of his stuff. He's, he's the Billy Graham chair at Wheaton University, and here's what he writes about this moment. He said, more and more evangelicals are indeed continualists. This is Ed Stetzer. Simply put, belief in the signs and the gifts seem to be mainstream now. 
I'd not be surprised if it's a majority view. Okay, so he knows, he sees there, there's something happening in the world. If you are familiar with John Piper, pastored Bethlehem Baptist for over 30 years, he's reformed theologically. I like John Piper. Now, we disagree on unconditional eternal security. We disagree on that. But John Piper is a, he's a reformed, he's evangelical, uh, he's a Baptist, but he's a continualist. He just said, hey, I just came across this, this reading. And I think, even though I'm Baptist, I think that, that, that the work of the Holy Spirit, as in Acts chapter 2, is still there. If you are familiar with Francis Chan, Francis Chan was a pastor in California, and he started, built this huge church, but he was cessationist. That was the way that he had taught. When, when the apostles died or the New Testament came, boom, that was the end of that. But he's got a video that I would like for you to see if you're following on the app. I put the link of that video. It's on YouTube. When, when he talks about reading through the book of Acts as a cessationist and seeing and being challenged in his own heart. And when he got through with that reading, he was, he was, a, you know, he was a continualist. So I'm just saying there are people who are looking at this thing afresh and anew. And they're not coming with old, you know, old concepts that they've always been taught, but they're looking at the freshness of the book of Acts and the, you know, the biblical integrity in which is dealt with, and they're coming up with a new, you know, with a new definition of, of, of this thing. Gordon-Conwell University, it's not a spirit-filled university. They did a, they did a study on Pentecostalism, spirit-filled around the world. This is their, this is their statistic from last year. Globally, there are 644 million Christians in the spirit-empowered movement representing 20% of all Christians worldwide. I'm telling you, God's doing something around the world. God's doing something around the world. That's, their, that's not mine. That's their study. That's their research. 644 million people who adhere to spirit-filled doctrine. I'm just telling you, worship team, you can come. God is doing something around the world. God is saying something to people. God is about looking for people and, and churches who are open to being filled, not so that we can get a certificate or pat ourselves on, our, on the back, but that we can, you know, that we can uh, do our work in the world and reach people for Christ. All right? So I, I'm going to give you a very shortened version of my experience with the Holy Spirit, okay? So, I mean, I'm, I'm raised in a, in a Pentecostal church, spirit-filled church. I told you I, it, was, it wasn't for me. You know, but later in my, in my high school life, I came to the Lord. I had a wonderful conversion with the Lord. God saved me. Man, my mind, my mouth, every part changed. My grades went up. Not a whole lot. It wasn't a, that big of a miracle, but it was starting to trend in the right direction. You know, but I had some friends who had been baptized in the Holy Spirit and plus, I'm reading the Bible as well. I'm reading and I'm seeing what God's saying about, about the Holy Spirit. And man, I, I wanted that for myself. I wanted, I wanted that experience. I wanted that empowerment myself. Well, I went to a really large church. Man, we had all these conferences and all that. We had some of the biggest names in. I'd be prayed for. They would lay their <clears throat> hands on me. 
And for whatever reason, man, I never could receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Okay, and this went one month, two months, three months. And let me just say, too, at this point, I'm getting a little irritated, which is not the best attitude you need when you receive something from God. Okay? But my friends have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. I'm seeing it there. And man, I, I told you, I had, I had some of the most famous hands laid on me all on TV. You know, uh, nothing, nothing. But I love the Lord. I loved the Lord. I just wanted everything that he had for me. But I was irritated. I was irritated. So one Sunday morning, I'm at church. People come down. They're getting saved. And I'm just kind of standing there. And, and a guy comes down from the choir. And he goes to the altar. And this guy that had just gotten saved, he said to that guy, Hey, God just spoke to me. He wants to fill you with the Holy Spirit right here. I was so mad. Okay. Are you serious? Was that was that that's supposed to be me? So they just pray over him, and I'm just like, are are you serious? I leave, terrible attitude, you know. I'm like, what what is what's wrong with me? I want that promise. I want I want to experience what I see, you know, in in the scripture. So I was so mad. I got home and I, I asked my mother, I said, Mom, who was that guy that came down from the choir? and went down to the altar, and she told me his name, okay? I went and got the Olin Mills directory. Remember the Olin Mills directory? Remember that? We all hated. We had to have our picture made, you know? I go get the Olin Mills directory. I look up his name and number. I call him at home, okay? I said, hey, uh, my mother plays the organ for the choir. I don't know that we've had the opportunity to meet. I just have a question. I said, you came down to the altar this morning, and I heard you say to this individual, God wants to fill you with the Holy Spirit. Is that what you said? He said, yes. I said, well, what, what, what have I done wrong? I mean, what, what's happening here? I said, I was standing right there. And he said, you know what? He said, well, 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 well. He said, why don't you just come over at my house this afternoon? And let's just me and you just sit down and we'll just talk about the Holy Spirit and all that. So I said, fine, click. You know, you hang up. Four o'clock, I'm knocking on the door like a stalker. You couldn't do that today. You can't call people at home. You can't show up. Four o'clock, I'm knocking on the door. He lets me in. So I start with, let me go back to this morning. Okay, I was, I was very kind. You came down. Did you really feel that in your heart that God wanted him uh, to be filled with the Holy Spirit? I said, I really did. And I'm like, I, what, what's wrong with me? What, what happened? I mean, like I was like two feet away. And he said, you know, we just talked for a moment. And he said, hey, um, why don't we do this? Why don't you and I just sit here? And why don't we just pray for you to receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit? And I'm like, what? Here? There's no worship team. You can't be filled without a worship team. You know? So I just sat in a chair. And he just sat in a chair. And just very quietly, I just began to worship God. I just began to praise him. And I realized that forcing things and trying to figure things out were just kind of the opposite to really just worshiping and receiving a promise from the Holy Spirit. And without 
laying on of hands, without the worship team, without anointing oil. You, you don't have to have anointing oil. I just felt, remember the term that I used, what, what Jesus said, it's like a river of living water that just flows out of your heart. I just opened my heart up and I just began to magnify the Lord and I just began to begin to praise him. And I'm just telling you, I can only tell you about what happened to me, but it literally was like that river of living water that just started flowing out of my heart. And God just baptized me in the Holy Spirit right there. And I just began to praise him and I just began to magnify him. And it was one of the most beautiful experiences that I've ever had with the Lord. I had no idea that God would call me to do what I do today. But I'm telling you, I can't do what I do today without the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit upon my life. I can't do it. I need that empowerment. And I want to say this to you, especially maybe if you come from a different background, that beautiful prayer language that the Lord gave me, I use it almost every day of my life, seeking God and praying. I just want to tell you today, as a church, we need the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. He is welcome in this place. But I want to say to you as well, man, if you've never kind of crossed over that threshold before, you come to a spirit-filled church you see our belief in the integrity of God's word. We believe in the deity of Christ. We, we, we believe in missions and evangelism and all those, all those I's doctrinally have been dotted and T's are crossed, but yet you've never taken that next step. I want to encourage you. I'm not push you. I won't pressure you, but I want to encourage you to be open and let God fill you with the Holy Spirit. He's got something that he wants to do in the church. And he's got something that he wants to do in our particular lives, our individual lives. Would you stand with me this morning? Would you stand with me this morning? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We welcome the Holy Spirit here, Lord, as the pastor of this church. We welcome your presence here today. God, we invite you. We thank you for what you did in Pentecost, on the day of Pentecost. And Lord, we believe it's still here for people today. We invite your presence into our gatherings, but we invite your presence into our hearts today. And we worship you today. We worship you today. We worship you today. The worship team is going to come and they're going to sing. And like right where you're at, if you're a believer, I want you to pray for the filling of the Holy Spirit right here, okay? Maybe you've had an experience a long time ago. Man, there's something fresh and new that God wants to do in your life. But maybe maybe you've never crest, carried over the threshold, crossed over the threshold of the Holy Spirit baptism. Just right where you're at, I just want you to just begin to pray and just say, Lord, fill me. Lord, fill me. Lord, fill me. Just, just have a, a worshipful moment with the Lord. He's got the promise of the Father that he wants to give you individually. He wants to fill us and baptize us 
with the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray across this building. Come on, I want you to kind of open your heart up. We're just going to take a moment. Lord, fill us with the Spirit this morning. Lord, fill us with your power and your presence this morning. Some of you, it's like that river of living water that's flowing out of your heart today. It's the promise of the Father. And with the same, the same act of faith that you receive salvation will be that same step of faith to receive the, the Spirit of the Lord in your heart. Lord, we pray this morning. We pray for the fullness of the Holy Spirit across this place, Lord, as you fell upon 120 believers a long time ago, Lord. Lord, you still have that experience for us today in 2022. Lord, we pray today for the fullness of the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit. Lord, you told them, don't go anywhere else. Don't do anything but wait on that promise. Lord, I pray, I pray, Lord, that river of living water, Lord, would flow out of hearts and minds this morning. Some of you be conscious of that river that's flowing in your heart. God's going to fill you right where you're at this morning. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I pray. I pray. Some of you, it's been a long time. That language of the Spirit of the Lord's wanting to bubble out in your heart today. God's wanting to give you a fresh experience with His power and presence. It's been a long, it's been a long time. He's wanting to break down walls in you. He's wanting to let that river flow in your heart. Open your heart. Open your mind today. We're just going to take a moment. Lord, fill us with the Spirit of the Lord. What we read about today, Lord, we believe is for the church today. It's for believers today. Baptize us, Lord, fresh and new with the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that you would, Lord, do something new and fresh in our hearts today. We lean into you today. We lean into you today. I just want you to praise him right where you're at. I want you to have just a, a private moment, just a private moment in a public place. Lord, we pray. We pray. Fill us with the Spirit. Fill us with the Spirit this morning. Come on, have a, have a private moment in the public place this morning. Lord, we pray your power. Lord, fill us with the Spirit of the Lord this morning. Lord, let your anointing just rest upon us. Let your presence just rest upon us this morning, Lord. We need your presence today. We need your power today. Fill us, Lord. Baptize us, Lord. God, let your presence, Lord, just hover in this church. We need you today, Lord. We need you today, Lord. Oh, God, fall upon us. Fresh wind. Fresh wind. Let it blow across the church today. Fresh wind. Lord, fresh fire today. Fresh fire. You said this baptism would be accompanied with fire. Lord, let the fire of God, let it fall upon us, Lord. Let it fall upon us. Lord, fresh oil, fresh oil upon us. Oh, God, fresh presence of God today. Oh, God, we seek you, Lord. We seek you, Lord. We seek you, Lord. We seek you, Lord. Fresh anointing, Lord. Let your spirit rest upon us, Lord. Let your spirit rest upon us, Lord. Baptize us, Lord. Fill us today with your power and your presence. 
Oh, God, you're speaking to people today. You're speaking to people today. Hey, there's some of you that God wants to deal with. Today can be your day. Holy Spirit, fall upon us. Holy Spirit, rest upon us today, Lord. We need your power, Lord. We need the presence of the living God. Thank you, Lord. 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 We praise you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Sing that, Brent. Sing that song you're singing there. Thank you for listening to the Generations Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message today and pray God's greatest blessings on you. For more information about Generations Church and its ministries, check out our webpage at gctlh.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter.